I suspect that no one really needs reminding that all of us as individuals, as businesses, as society need to step up our efforts to reduce the impact that we're having on planet Earth. But what does that mean in practical terms for retailers? What can they change and what's the impact for them, for consumers and on the environment? And what is the role of payments in all of that? Let's find out in this episode of Navigating Digital Payments. Welcome to the Navigating Digital Payments podcast, brought to you by Worldline, bringing you the latest innovations, trends and predictions about the future of payments. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Navigating Digital Payments podcast. I'm David Daly. I look after the Discovery Hub here at Worldline. And today I'm really delighted to be joined by Julie Delignon, who is the Head of Sustainable Development and Circular Economy at Decathlon in France. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here today. It's really nice to have you here for this discussion. So at the end, I really want to come back to this question of whether or not you think sports equipment can become more sustainable. But first, maybe we can understand a little bit what you've been trying at Decathlon, what lessons you've learned, and also what you have found the implications are then for payments. But before I come on to all of that, perhaps we could rewind even further and and I can ask you why you saw this need to kind of transform in this direction? Well, actually, it's uh, it's not something new. Uh, we have started in uh, 1986 uh, the Trocathlon in, uh, in in France, um, and it was something quite new where you could actually go at Decathlon, and you can put your um, your product on the shelves, and then people could come and buy it directly from you. Um, and it's also the same year when uh, we actually have opened the first workshops in the stores to help repair Decathlon products. So you see, it's like it was back in 80s, so it's really long time ago. But what is quite new now is the acceleration and the development of all those new business models. Um, and it's a quite a game changer for us. It's funny when you say quite a long time ago, because in my head, the 80s is, is, is not so long ago at all. But it is, <laughs> it's 40 years, obviously. And this is, uh, I don't know, it's a sign of getting old. Um, but that's really interesting. And maybe it also shows two things. One is, of course, it's a long journey, um, these types of uh, activities. But also, have you seen that it has changed because of the more digital world that we live in, you know, mobile, online? Because again, in the, in the 80s, all shopping was physical in store pretty much definitely david it's a, it's a really a, a big change actually we have discovered that uh, people also have new ways of consuming uh, so sports users are changing they are uh, much more interested uh, in having a positive impact on the environment there is also actually new needs linked to uh, uh, indeed, the development of uh, digital. So uh, we expect now to have things much more quickly than before. Um, we sometimes don't expect to uh, have to leave our house to be able to receive a product. And so there is also an increase in terms of, uh, uh, yes, this kind of expectations and the level of service you're going to get. And uh, the thing which was also a game changer for us uh, is the fact that uh, at our level, at company level, we have to deal with uh, higher and higher prices for, uh, and we have to source uh, different kind of uh, materials. Uh, so it has a big impact also uh, on, on the price of our products. And we want to keep our product accessible to the many. 
So, and the second thing is that we, we also want to, to do our part to reduce our emissions. So we need to keep uh, global warming to no more than 1.5 degrees by 2050. So it's also a way to actually uh, be able to, to achieve that. So you mentioned that it's not new in, in terms of the concept of trying to do things to enable reuse and being more environmentally friendly. But what, what new approaches have you been trying then more recently, Julie? Well, so um, something we have um, been doing for, I would say, maybe six years, something like that, uh, it's uh, the development of buyback. So this is uh, uh, the way we can actually offer our clients to go back to our stores and be able to sell their products directly. And we have uh, an immediate payment. So you don't have to worry about um, putting an online uh, ad and uh, to worry about whether you're going to sell it or not. This is quite new. And uh, this is a way we have to also manage differently our products. So what kind of products should we buy back? What, uh, how much should I, uh, should I buy back? Uh, how much should I sell this product? Um, so this is really something which is quite changing compared to the business as usual. The second thing is uh, subscription. It's a new model. We want uh, we have this habit uh, because uh, now there is Netflix, uh, there is uh, Amazon Prime and so on. So you, you kind of get used to have um, kind of those kind of subscription. The thing which is quite changing is that you have a subscription for a product. So now you're not uh, uh, the owner of your product, but you just have uh, the use of this product. Um, and you have to pay, for instance, I don't know, 10 euros per month. And you can enjoy uh, riding a bike, for instance. And the last thing is that those two business models, for instance, that we have developed uh, quite recently, they all need to rely on refurbishment and new capacities. So this is quite a big change because first it means we need to uh, have a good diagnosis of the product to identify what kind of processes we need to implement so that we can uh, really ensure that we have a good uh, refurbished product uh, with uh, good security uh, measures. And uh, we are sure that uh, you can ride safe or even use your your tent at your camping without worrying about uh, the rain or anything. So. There's two interesting things there. Like you say, firstly, it sounds like behind the scenes, there's quite a logistical change in in processing the return of the goods whether that's because they're returned as part of a subscription or being um, sold in more of a second-hand way and as you say making sure they're of a good quality and being able to to resell them but also in a, a recent episode of the podcast we talked about new business models and we talked a bit about subscription and rental and my colleague Johan Maas made the point that probably for some things people will still want to buy because they have a certain emotional connection whether it's a feeling of security by owning your own home for example but there are other things where it clearly makes a lot of sense I'm, I'm interested what sort of reaction have you seen from your customers to these these new approaches well it's a good question actually it was a bit a bet at the at the beginning so uh what is great it's uh, is that the reaction was really really good and that's why we we are able now to scale those uh, those business models um actually the first thing is that uh our customers see a big interest in those uh, alternative business models, not really because of the environmental impact, but rather for financial reasons. You know, we know that 88% um, of them, for instance, are interested in buying secondhand products just because they are cheaper, you know, and this is the number one reason. So it's not really what we expected first, but uh, it's, it's good because with the uh, current inflation, 
I think it's very interesting to keep having product, uh, but uh, at a reasonable price, but a really good quality. And the second thing, so the other reaction of our customer is, I think it was a success because also it uh, answered different types of pain points. So, and it's funny because we, we talk about subscription about, or about buyback and so on, but it's not the same pain point we are uh, actually um, tackling. For instance, for when you rent an adult bike, uh, the main pain point is, uh, am I going to see my bike again if I put this bike on this corner and I'm going to, to go? Uh, so there is a lot of robbery. Um, and uh, so this, is, this was the main pain point and the main fear. So we had uh, this kind of insurance included. While on the other side, when you rent a kid's bike, it's more because you, actually your kids are growing. And uh, I think it's a total different need so but it's you use subscription in the in, in both cases it's just that uh, it uh, it's really different needs so i think the the main thing is to be sure that it's actually uh, uh, is uh, is interesting for for your clients and uh, in those cases it, it's uh, it's definitely the case and i think we did some some research as well into re-commerce and had a similar conclusion that the primary interest for consumers was financial and and saving money although there was also this association with a more sustainable way of living that that was driving it as well um and i think it also makes sense doesn't it where you have um so if you are cycling every day of the week and you want to personalize your bike and you're customizing it then maybe rental or subscription doesn't make sense but if you're going biking for a three-week holiday and for the rest of the time that bike's going to sit in the garage gathering dust then it probably makes total sense financially to just rent it or subscribe for the bike for that period Uh, but also it means that someone else can be using it in the time you're not using it which means less production less um, less impact on the environment so I could see that term being really good you you mentioned a little bit earlier the the behind the scenes operational side can you say a bit more about what the biggest challenges have been there Yes, yes, because there are many. <laughs> so I think uh, the the first challenge is to change the operating model. Actually, Decathlon has been uh, created in the 70s and uh, we are a very good company with uh, lots of processes uh, which are built for selling brand new products. And now uh, we need to define a new business model. So it requires new processes, new tools, Uh, new ways of working and the big challenge uh, is actually to change the old habits so um, uh, we need to actually uh, define new roads uh, roads that nobody used before because it's also quite a, a new uh, a new way of of making business actually and you cannot see it uh, really successful around because uh, it's quite difficult to actually uh, have an environmental impact and uh, also to be uh, profitable in, in these new uh, models where you need to have lots of investment. So you need to, to, to give the right reasons to believe in your businesses. And uh, the, the second thing is also not only the, so the operations and the processes that need to be reviewed, but also the way we measure performances. We were just uh, discussing about uh, discussing the, the fact that uh, we, we develop subscription. Subscription is a model where you receive, for instance, 10 euros per month. So it's very different from having uh, 100 euros right now. So when you compare those the first months, you're like, okay, Julie, so I'm losing money, a lot, but totally. No, no, it's, it's not this way. You don't have to, to see things like that. So it's also, um, we, we are not a, 
an NGO and we need also to define sustainable business also uh, financially. And uh, this is uh, the, the balance that we need to keep in mind. And, uh, and I'm struggling sometimes also uh, internally to change uh, our dashboards, to change the way we measure those KPIs so that I can prove that uh, it's really good for our planet, it's really good for our customers, and it's really good for us too. <laughs> and it's interesting you say that because it, it comes up again and again in the podcast when we talk about what makes things successful, which is that you have to have a sustainable, you always have to have a sustainable business model behind as well, because actually, if there is no money to be made, then actually nothing will succeed in, in the long run. So it's great and of, of huge importance to be protecting the environment and improving sustainability on that side. But actually, if there's no business model behind it then then things don't tend to last so that is that's quite interesting to hear are there are there things that you've been adapting or changing at decathlon based on this on the feedback you've had so far um, yes, I think we were able to adapt uh, our value propositions. We were also able to adapt our offers based on uh, sports users' feedback. Um, I have, uh, for instance, a few examples in mind. I'll talk to you about uh, buyback. Uh, so we first offered only uh, vouchers in exchange for the products that, um, that people were selling, but uh, it was not enough. You know, when you sell a bike uh, which uh, costs uh, 900 euros, you're not really happy with a 900 euros voucher at the Decathlon. <laughs> so basically, we were um, really incentive to change the way we were getting the products. Um, so we developed actually the payment by bank transfer um, recently. So this is one of the evolutions, for instance. And the second thing is regarding subscription. We have tested a lot of uh, different types of products, but uh, there are some which were much more interesting than others. And uh, to give you an example, actually, we tried tennis table uh, and uh, it was not really, really relevant. <laughs> which is interesting. And do you have any idea why table tennis tables were not... Is it the size of it? Is it just that this is the kind of thing people either have or what, what was any idea? What yeah, was behind it, that? It's, it, it's, uh, there are different things. The first thing is the fact that uh, when people want to have it, it's rather because um, uh, they, they want to use it all the time and they really want to, uh, they have a, a garden and they want to, um, to use it all day long during the good season. So they don't see really the need to have a really, um, one-shot rental uh, and the, and at the end the issue also was the fact that um, to create a value you need to get back the product and be able to rent it again and the fact that the table tennis were outside uh, and there's a rain and there's a sun and so on it made it quite complicated at the end after two years if people were not really ready to pack it and and put a protection uh, on it uh, it was difficult to, to have really really good product to be able to re-rent uh, them at the end. So this model works because you can have several cycles of rental and it was not uh, really uh, adapted uh, regarding uh, the tennis table uh, currently and the use people were doing of that. And I can, it's interesting you say that. There's two things there then, isn't there? One is, I'm thinking as well, the alternatives to renting the equipment would be to go to a leisure centre and book your one hour slot and play table tennis there. And maybe even the same for gym equipment. You know, if you have a home gym, it's because you're going to use it six days a week 
for the next six years, not because you're going to use it for a few weeks. It's a big investment as well. Like you said, with a table tennis table, you need the space, the room for it. So there's a lot else around that. And then the other side is the ease of of returning it, I guess, because like you say, um, I'm thinking of various goods that I've received and sometimes had to return in the past. And there are definitely ones that are as easy as popping to the uh, the local shop and dropping it off. And then there are ones that are much harder, let's say, to, to repackage and return. Yes, but we developed also um, fitness apparels. And it's okay because you have someone who is delivering it in, in the room where you want it to be uh, installed and set up. And then they come back to retrieve the product. And it's okay. I mean, the experience is okay, especially because you have more and more uh, people also working from home or you, you have different kind of uh, hours. So, and it's flexible during the, um, the weekend if you're only at home during the weekend. So people are quite happy about actually this uh, experience of uh, getting the product and, uh, and giving it back. Um, the, the only issue is actually, indeed, do I, it's, it, it's in the middle. I don't need uh, the product uh, for a really, really short time of time, like uh, just an afternoon. But at, at the end, I don't need it also for a very long period of time for several years. So you actually have to match uh, those, those kind of people's needs, which is quite okay because for fitness, you have lots of people who like to get in shape uh, quite uh, over a, f- a few months or um, because you need also to train because you had a, a surgery or uh, you are not very very at, uh, at ease for a long period of time. So I think it uh, actually meets some needs, but regarding other um, products like a tennis table, it was not the case at all. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to focus on the usage of the product, on the different types of people's needs and motivation around the product to really understand what kind of offer uh, we, we need to develop. And on the top of that, uh, subscription is not about product only. You also have uh, uh, to include services, which are very important for people. I was talking about the theft uh, insurance or uh, about uh, the maintenance and so on. So we develop lots of services which are included also in the subscription. And I think this is this mix of uh, product and services, which makes it also very interesting for for our customers. In a strange way, it reminds me of car leasing, which of course has been around probably since even before the 80s, if we dare go that far (laughs) far back. Um, But it's interesting that convenience, I think, is often an an attraction there. The idea that you're paying a fixed fee and it includes the maintenance of the car and it includes the insurance and everything. And so you have nothing else. So it's not always cheaper, but it's a lot more convenient and it's a more predictable cost and I guess that's what you're saying a little bit as well it's it's not it's not just about the ownership of the products but it's the things that you can wrap around that and, and it's, it's totally the case I, I agree with you it's uh, it's really convenient you can plan the expenses that you have uh, and also it's also the case for buyback you know you know exactly what you have you have the price right now you you're not going to struggle is it a good price not a good price it's actually it's a kind of yeah it's a peace of mind also <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned as well about vouchers not being very popular and I guess it's particularly with large large amounts but I always think whenever I receive a voucher whether it's as a gift or or, or whatever um the problem is it does often become like a time limited item on my to-do list you know i now need to spend this voucher with this store before the expiry date even if that's one or two years away it it still creates something that that needs attention whereas of course being paid with 
a traditional currency, let's say, means that um, you don't suddenly have a pressure of when you can spend this money at that particular store. Yes, and and if you want to stop having a I don't know a tent and you want to start uh, the standard pattern, then then you you're free to do that. But if you want to stop and not start the sport sport again, you is going to be a bit complicated for you to spend this amount of money too. So it's 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 really nice to be free or something on this stuff. In a moment, Julie, I'd like to perhaps come on to what specific impacts you've seen around the payments part and also then ask you what you think the future holds for for making sports equipment more sustainable first i just want to remind people that if they want to get in contact with the podcast uh, let us know topics you'd like us to cover suggest guests then you can reach us by emailing ndp-podcast at worldline.com and also just to remind you if you haven't already please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast then you'll never miss an episode and also leave us a rating and a review so julie with all these new approaches that you've been experimenting with at decathlon and, and the feedback you've had what impacts have you seen around the payments part specifically? Well, there are a few impacts. Um, when you sell brand new products, actually the payment methods are not the same as buying back a product from a sport user or when you rent a product to him or to her. For instance, for buyback, we had difficulties to actually match payments with the bank so we had a lot of phone calls of people saying, oh, I don't understand. I haven't received the, the, the money on my bank account. How is it possible? And it's sometimes a delay um, due to the bank transfer because banks have different kind of, uh, of delays. Uh, sometimes it was issue with, uh, with, uh, with the bank itself. Uh, sometimes we, at the very beginning, uh, now it's of course sold after, after two years, but uh, sometimes indeed we had a, a few issues with, uh, with specific um, uh, banks. And the fact is that it's key for us because buyback, the value proposition is that the payment should be very simple and immediate compared to other experiences you could have. So it was key for us to actually revise this kind of um, payment process and be sure we were really aligned with what we we were offering. Uh, the second thing, which was really a big pain point, and uh, we had to learn a lot about that, is uh, the fraud regarding subscription. So sometimes we had uh, we were seeing a lot of unpaid bills more and more of our time. And uh, it was really complicated for us to really understand. That. So why do we have people not paying? Is it because uh, they they forgot uh, to change uh, their, their credit card? Should we have um, uh, IBAN? Should we change and have an impact on the user experience? Or uh, could we work with others to reduce the risk? So we had to develop lots of uh, new skills also and uh, knowledge regarding uh, risk management and fraud management which was not something we were used to when you were selling a product and you had to pay right now, basically. So it's a, it was interesting. We, we, there is a lot of um, bridges uh, between subscription, for instance, and financing. You were talking about leasing before. So we had to learn also from it. So what is very interesting, actually, in, the, uh, in those new approaches is that you, you learn all the time and, uh, and you keep growing and experimenting. And uh, this is how after you can uh, you can have the best experiences for uh, your customers, for your teammates. So that's cool. And it's interesting hearing, certainly on the, f the first example you, you gave of how to manage the payouts, it, it comes up again and again, I think, when we're discussing on the podcast that in payments, it's never the happy path that 
that is that takes the effort. It's always the I didn't receive the. It's any kind of dispute or issue that that takes a lot of the the effort. And also, it's it's interesting to hear what you say that of course, if the whole value proposition is around it being quick, simple, convenient, you don't have to place an advert etc if you then have to wait five ten days for the payment well it would be quicker to place an advert in the newspaper and receive cash from someone who comes to pick it up from you so if the payment's very long and protracted then it gets rid of the the benefit and on the second point i also think it's you mentioned right at the start um that we're used to say netflix and spotify you know subscription services but of course they have the benefit that if you don't pay they can they can easily cut off the service, which is then a big incentive for you to renew your card details. Exactly. But of course, if I've got my bike and I'm happy cycling around the mountains... Exactly. I can't go, go and talk to you and say, OK, now I need my bike. Because actually, you can just keep it and uh, and this is the end of the story. So now we have... Uh, uh, we have worked with another company which is going to come to you and say, okay, now you, you give by the back and we have other means to to prevent this. But uh, indeed, when you have um, uh, products and it's uh, it's uh, f- yeah, you have physical products, you cannot just uh, stop and say, okay, you don't have access anymore to to this service. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, you have to get it back. So it's where it's uh, also quite consuming in terms of resources on our side. Um, because we cannot just say, okay, uh, we, we leave it and uh, and it's okay. So Julie, maybe we come finally onto two sort of related questions. So firstly, what kind of difference do you think what Decathlon is doing now is, is having? What do you think the impact is having? And then maybe a follow-up question for that is, is there more to do? And, and what do you think that, that would look like? Uh, yes, I, I, I hope I'm making a... What I'm doing is making a difference. Um, this is why I, I think it's uh, it's so interesting to to work on this kind of topics. I think um, uh, those kind of uh, new models are actually making more accessible, uh, more environmentally friendly ways of consuming. So I think we actually help sports users decrease their CO2 impact um, while it's more affordable to them. Because sometimes you're like, okay, I can have less impact on the environment, but I need to pay twice the price. So I'm not really ready to, to make this sacrifice. Uh, so I, I, I find it really cool to be able to make it possible. Um, the second thing is that uh, I love my job because I feel like I create jobs too. And uh, I think uh, in the current economic situation, I think it's key also to, to be able to to be able to wake up in the morning and to have uh, also a sense and, uh, and, uh, and to work for, for a good project. So, uh, so far we have uh, 1,100 technicians uh, in France. We will recruit 100 uh, more by end of the year. And, uh, and the more we develop uh, circular businesses, the more we need technicians to actually repair the products, diagnose them, and so on. So I think it's, um, it's quite, uh, yeah, I think it's making a difference. Maybe not a lot, but at least for those people, it's a, it's a difference. And, uh, and uh, also for, for me, for my team, for uh, at Decathlon level, we, we develop new skills. We raise awareness about um, environmental issues and uh, we, we we actually try to prove that um, and we prove I think uh, that uh, we can actually make business but uh, also um, it's not something which is uh, totally uh, against the fact of making a difference for the environment you know so it's a it's a way of uh, yeah making sure that we can keep 
uh, doing business over the, the next uh, 20 years and uh, be able also to to, to match uh, the 2050 um, net zero uh, roadmap. And uh, and for your second question, it was, um, do you think there is more than can be done? Um, yeah, well, I think, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, we can always do more. Uh, sometimes I'm always saying, okay, it's not enough. I should, uh, we should go ahead. It's not uh, ambitious enough and, and so on. But um, I think we should also tell ourselves that it's okay and we can go one step at a time. So when, uh, one of the issues we face is that many times repairing or refurbishing is to costing uh, more than the price of the product. You know? I think there is two ways of, um, of do- dealing with that. Is, uh, either by developing new tools, processes, and ways of working internally, which we are d- doing right now. Um, or you can also think, and this is something we want to do also in parallel, is that uh, it will require us incentives from the government to encourage these types of uh, approaches. So I think it's important that uh, it becomes interesting for the private sector to also invest more in this field. So it could be through um, um, a lower VAT for second-hand products. It could be incentives and bonuses for refurbishment. So so everything is work in progress. We are working also, um, we have connections with um, through public affairs, with the government, with uh, the European Commission and so on. So I think, um, yes, little step by little step, I think we can, uh, we can do more. And this is going to be the combination of everything which we can make it happen. And it, uh, just your answer reminds me of two things. One is that, of course, uh, with this, huge climate challenge we're facing uh, no one individual or one company can solve this by themselves but we all have to do our part and if you add together the efforts of everyone then it then it can solve this and the other thing is i i can't remember quite who the quote is from but it's that uh, quote of so many people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years so as you say it's about little concrete steps towards the goal and if you if you manage to take many small steps then eventually you get there even if it's a if even if it's a long journey yes and uh, i really encourage everybody who would like to launch these kind of processes to have this kind of uh, yes test and learn approaches so that uh, you're, uh, you you know where you're going to go a um, little step after little step and uh, and you can take the most out of what you learn at every stage and then make sure that's you, you stop some projects and you start new ones and you scale the ones that uh, make sense uh, for, for your company, for, your, for, for the people you work with also, because uh, it's very important for, for, for the, all our teammates at Decathlon uh, and also for, for your customers. It's, uh, it's the key to be uh, focused on, uh, on what people want uh, and not create uh, things because it's going to save uh, the planet. It's the environment in which we, are, you, as humans, we are growing. Which, uh, and if we want to live the same way or actually uh, to enjoy the, the, our environment and as a nature, we need to actually uh, have those baby steps and, uh, and make sure that uh, the more we are taking those baby steps, the more we can actually uh, make sure that we, we reduce the impact we have on the environment. Julie, that was really fascinating to hear what you've been working on at Decathlon. I think it was interesting, firstly, to learn that it's not totally new, but of course, the technologies that we have now are, are changing how this can be done. Uh, I think it was interesting to hear 
the the feedback you've had from customers and particularly which types of products this does work for and which ones that it doesn't work for obviously you also talked through some of the um the challenges and some of the changes you're making as, as a result of the feedback you've had um, and then I think it's uh, it's quite inspirational really to hear you talking about how it's it's about concrete baby steps experimental ideas and then keep the ones that work and scale those and discard the ones that that don't so really want to thank you for spending some time today with us for the podcast Julie thank you very much David it was a pleasure discussing with you <laughs> you're very welcome and you're welcome to come back uh, another time and give us a, an update on what else uh, what else you've been up to in the in the next year um and that just leaves me to thank Uh, you, our dear listeners, for joining us once again for this episode of Navigating Digital Payments. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Digital Payments podcast, brought to you by Worldline. Join us next time to learn more about the latest innovations, trends and predictions for the future of payments.